This episode of Awards Chatter is brought to you by Universal Television, presenting Girls 5 Eva. Girls 5 Eva follows a one-hit wonder 90s girl group who attempts a comeback while hilariously navigating family and relationships, plus the joys and pains of middle age. The show stars Sarah Bareilles, Renee Elise Goldsbury, Paula Pell, and Busy Phillips. Don't miss the series critics call the funniest show on television. Girls 5 Eva is now streaming on Netflix and is for your Emmy consideration for Outstanding Comedy Series and all other eligible categories. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to Awards Chatter. It's a new podcast that we've started here at The Hollywood Reporter that's going to deal with all things awards. My name's Scott Feinberg. I'm our awards analyst. So as you can imagine, I live for all things awards, and I'm hoping that if you're tuning in, so do you. It's going to be kind of a a weekly meetup for people with our sort of a problem. And during it, we're going to recap what's happened since the previous week, look ahead to what's going to be happening before the next one, and then spend most of the time in conversation with somebody or some group of people who are connected to the Oscar season or the Emmy season or the Tony season or whatever uh, in some way. And this week, I'm really excited to be joined for our kickoff episode by a really incredible group of three people, all associated with the movie Steve Jobs, which is one of the most uh, anticipated Oscar hopefuls of this season. It was just unveiled at the Telluride Film Festival, where I saw it, and it's going to be uh, heading to the New York Film Festival as the centerpiece screening there uh, on October 3rd before opening nationwide on October 9th, courtesy of Universal. In a moment, we're going to get to the conversation that I had in Telluride with the film's director, Oscar winner Danny Boyle, who you know from Slumdog Millionaire. It's supporting actress Kate Winslet, another Oscar winner, uh, who plays the close professional confidant of Steve Jobs. Uh, And then Seth Rogen, who was the man who created Apple with Jobs, uh, Steve Wozniak. Uh, And so to have Boyle, Winslet, and Rogan together for a a really wide-ranging conversation that shed light on new things and I I found pretty entertaining, I think is a a great way to begin this weekly podcast. But before we do that, we're going to do something, as I say, that we're going to do each week, which is just recap the news you need to know since the last one. And in this case, that's really just what happened at Telluride. Uh, the big headlines were that he named me Malala, a documentary about the 2014 Nobel Peace Prize winner, opened the fest as the patron's preview. That's a coveted time slot that's previously gone to the first screening anywhere of Argo and others, uh, but Argo is the big one because that one went on to win Best Picture. This was the first documentary to occupy that slot. Malala herself actually called in, in a sense. She was... Uh, she was video conferenced in for a Q&A afterwards, and so that was a, a, a big point of discussion at the festival. Whether or not the movie's an awards contender uh, remains to be seen, but it was very well received as uh, just sort of a celebration of this young woman. Another few movies there, as always, came from Cannes and were making their first North American debuts. Those included Carol, 
which is a big contender, uh, particularly in the acting categories, I would argue, with Rooney Mara and Kate Blanchett. There's still some speculation about which acting category they will be placed in, whether it's lead or supporting um, for either one of them, and we'll be tracking that. Also, Son of Saul uh, and Deepon and some others, as well as others that came from Berlin, such as 45 Years, which was one of my favorites, a, a really beautiful movie that won the Silver Bear Acting Awards for both of its stars in Berlin. That was Charlotte Rampling and Tom Courtney. And then the movie that won the top film prize at, at Berlin, Taxi, was also at Telluride. And meanwhile, a number of the movies that played at Telluride had just come over from Venice, where they were almost simultaneously screening. Those include Beasts of No Nation, Spotlight, Black Mass, uh, and others. But, you know, I think the, the takeaway that I found or the, the my observation from how these movies went over and also just kind of a gut feeling about their prospects are that the big winners, the big movies come out of Telluride this year are Spotlight, which is a giant ensemble movie about journalism, specifically about the way that the Boston Catholic Church sex scandal was covered. Black Mass, which is sort of the first Johnny Depp movie to feel excited about in a long time uh, and is – also notable for the direction of Scott Cooper and a great supporting performance by Joel Edgerton. Uh, Room, which is a little kind of uh, unusual movie with terrific performances by its two stars, Brie Larson, who you may know I'm crazy about since Short Term 12, but also an eight-year-old, Jake uh, Tremblay, who none of us had really heard of before, but who is goes toe-to-toe with her and deserves serious consideration to be one of the youngest nominees uh, in Oscar history. And then uh, we come also to the movie that we're here to talk about today, Steve Jobs, which is a really searing, no-holds-barred look at the professional and personal life of a very complicated man. And who better to write it than Aaron Sorkin coming off an Oscar win for a story about another guy who wasn't especially likable, uh, The Social Network, which looked at Mark Zuckerberg. Mark Zuckerberg, in a lot of ways, looks like a class act next to uh, Steve Jobs in, in as he's portrayed in this film. But again, like like Zuckerberg, Steve Jobs has changed the way we, we all live. Uh, and so it's really interesting to be able to look at his life in the way that this film presents it, which is, interestingly enough, through three different conferences, you know, where presentations where Apple products are revealed, or in some cases not Apple products, other places where Jobs was throughout his career. So the film uses those occasions to look at his relationships with personal and professional associates and how he went about his business, and it, and it is certainly very interesting. And so uh, I think that's a good lead-in to an opportunity to talk more about it with, again, director Danny Boyle, supporting actress Kate Winslet, and supporting actor Seth Rogen. Thank you guys uh, for joining us. To begin with, I just wanted to ask Danny, uh, it's your third time here in Telluride, I know, previously with Slumdog 127 Hours, and obviously that worked out very well. So I wonder if you can just talk about what makes Telluride a place you want to go to to unveil a film, and also what it was like last night when you received this uh, career tribute, which has really gone to a lot of terrific people in the past as well. Yeah, um well, it's a lovely festival because obviously you, you, you're working on a film for so long and it's so precious to you. And then you have to show it, show the world your child, this thing you've all created together. And um, you, it's a lovely festival because it's small and it feels it's full of people who clearly, they're, they're going to be critical, obviously, but they're also going to be supportive because they feel like they're the people who really cherish film and their act of storytelling. Um, 
So it's a lovely to be able to make a bow like that. It's lovely. Because it's going to disappear very soon out into the world and people are going to be able to do whatever they want with it, right. which is all right and proper. <laughs> so it's nice to have a sympathetic place to bring it, really. Right. Um, and the scale of the, the town means that this festival can't get much bigger. You know, right. it's always, it'll always be circumspect. Right. So it's a lovely place to bring a film, certainly. And we've been very, yeah, we've been very lucky here um, to, have, to have shown a couple of films before, yeah. And, and Kate and Seth, have you been here before? Is this your first time? Uh, I've never been. I've yeah. never been to Telluride, and um, I've had the opportunity to come, but haven't quite been able to pull it off. To be honest with you, the festival actually falls at a really bad time in the school schedule in the UK. <laughs> so kids, kids go back to school basically on the Monday, right. the main Monday of the festival, and um, for me, that's just a you know that's a priority to sure. be around. But luckily, my eldest two are now 14 and 11, and they were very understanding that I wasn't going to be there <laughs> for the school run right. tomorrow, so right. so I'm lucky enough to be here this time. Right, and, and Seth, what do you make of the place? I know it's only been a, not even probably 24 hours, yeah. but... Uh, it's great. It's a beautiful yeah. town. I like that the, it's not like overrun by the festival, which yeah. happens to a lot of places who have festivals. Yeah. Like like Toronto's normally a beautiful city, but during TIFF, it's like a <laughs> it's like a scene out of Twenty Eight Days Later. Like it's literally like it's horrific. And so, um, yeah. So it's nice that it's it's happening, but you could potentially be walking down the street and not be aware of it in some ways. Right. But, which is yeah, and it's and it's just beautiful here. It's it's incredible. Mm. Yeah, I wish comedies got invited to these. Things. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, so Danny, I guess going, you know, coming to Steve Jobs specifically, um, how did you first hear about this project, and what was it that made you want to want to do it? Christian Coulson and I, we'd been yeah. developing a script about David Bowie, and it was a musical, and we would we couldn't get the rights to the music, so we had to abandon it, and we were like heartbroken about that. So that had happened. We were, we were in grief, as you are, you know, we were literally grieving for that project. And um, I was reading, just out of, for pleasure at the time, The Circle by Dave Eggers, which is an amazing book. We we'll recommend it to anybody. Um, and so those two things were happening. And, and Scott Rudin rang up and said that David Fincher had dropped out of uh, this Steve Jobs film and would, would be interested in reading it. And I said, yeah. And we read it, and it was just extraordinary. He thought, I don't care about stepping into David Fincher's shoes. Mm-hmm. I don't care about it being... How, how could it ever be as good as Social Network? It's just a brilliant script. The parts were extraordinary for actors, and you thought, just do it. And I, I remember saying to him, he said, are you serious? And I said, I'm about as serious as I can get, <laughs> which made me sound like I was already an Aaron Sorkin character. <laughs> <laughs> it was like talking like Aaron right. Sorkin. And, and you find that. That's one of the curses of it, Scott, right. is that you find yourself saying things, and you think that's very sorkin <laughs> Well, one one question I had is that having seen and loved all of your earlier films, it just seems like that what what they have in common is there's so much heart. These are characters often that you're rooting for in many many cases, and um, here you as as this this filmmaker who is so associated with that kind of a feel for a movie is now biting off a character who is not the most likable was not the most likable guy in the world and. Um, and yet you still have to make him engaging for the audience. And I just wonder, for you, was that even a consideration, the, the challenge of doing that? I, well, well it, it would, it, I, what I loved about it is that, and, and this is our take on him, this is not a photograph or a documentary, mm-hmm. this is a portrait of him, and the portrait within the script was that this was a, man, a monster, and that, he's be, he, you know, and that he's made beautiful by two women. And it's by this relate, and it was interesting that neither of these women appear in the book, or barely at all. 
the Walter Isaacson. Yeah. Uh, the Walter Isaacson book that yeah. Aaron Sorkin's um, film uh, script is, is, is an, a, an adaptation of, but that Aaron had had access to these women. And so it was full of heart, mm -hmm. I thought. And that would be a surprise to people because yeah. I think people wouldn't be expecting that. Mm -hmm. And that's actually what made the what made it uh, a project that you want to do. It was also as well, it's about fathers and daughters, and I've got two daughters, mm -hmm. and that just t tore me apart sure. at the end of it. And you hope you haven't brought your own daughters up in the way that he, <laughs> his relationship with Lisa Brennan jobs, right. but you certainly true, you know there's elements of it that are true that still apply to you. And so you can learn something about yourself by doing it. So it felt like it, it could be personal as well. It wasn't just objective about this extraordinary historical figure. Mm -hmm. It was something personal and live for people living now. You know? And Kate, you play obviously one of the two women that, that Danny's referring to, jo uh, Joanna Hoffman. And I guess, you know, for people who haven't read the book and may not know about her, she was really one of his closest and, or I guess, longest serving. I don't know how close anybody really was to him, but longest serving um, advisors. And I, I have to share with you that coming out of the theater, we, we overheard a few people that were saying, who's this actress, that, who's this exciting actress? Because beneath your makeup and uh, new hairstyle and this accent, I think they were a, a little, uh, you know, had no idea. And so um, was that part of the appeal for you to, to kind of be able to just totally bury yourself in a in a character that, I mean, I don't think we've ever seen you play somebody like this. Well, that's good. <laughs> um, you know, my, my, my whole thing as an actress is I just feel so bloody lucky to still be doing this after, you know, 22 years. And, and the great privilege is not just to work with wonderful people like Danny and Aaron and Seth. Yes, you are wonderful. Get over it. <laughs> and Michael. And Michael. But to, quite honestly, to play lots of different parts. Mm -hmm. I just, I, I, I love to, to do that, the challenge of that, and to honestly figure out whether I can actually pull it off or not. Mm -hmm. um, I remember when Danny and I met, we really only had an hour to meet in Melbourne at 7 o'clock in the morning and I had to go filming that day and I remember just taking I, I had a strong sense that we didn't have much time to talk and I just felt that I had all these things I really wanted to say but one of them was listen, there's going to be no bullshit about this if I did this, I would need to completely just disappear into this role and look nothing like myself no bells and whistles, we just get on with it and I, and I really feel as though we did manage to pull that off in terms of the look and the totally. feel of her. And, and I was determined to make that happen. And uh, she, she, as a woman, she's, she's extraordinary, but she's just nothing like me at all. I mean, she's probably five foot two, <laughs> <laughs> very Eastern European looking. Um, and actually in the book, she doesn't feature very much. She's, mm -hmm. she, she's one of the people who um, didn't spend a huge amount of time with Walter Isaacson, but did spend a lot of time with Aaron Sorkin. And Aaron, he really just fell in love with her in the same way that pretty much everyone does. She has a, she has a generosity of spirit and a warmth about her that is very much just in her DNA. And I think that it's something that Steve really learned to lean on and was very comforted just literally by her presence. Mm -hmm. But she was never afraid of him or intimidated by him. And I think that's what made their relationship so unique was that they were equals. Mm -hmm. And she felt very much like his equal. Right. Um, she wasn't afraid of him and she didn't ever need anything from him. She just needed to be his colleague and his partner and for him to be the best version of himself as a man and as a father that he could possibly be. And she really did challenge him in the way that she does in the film. You know, there's a, Aaron has used his imagination in many areas but that one in particular I would say not that much she really was like that wow. um, and it was it was a hell of a lot of fun I, I, I feel as though 
I also tried to be kind of Michael's wingman a bit. Um, he didn't really need one, is the truth. Right. But um, I did feel a certain responsibility to him to kind of give him that um, and be a little bit of a, a rock, I think, in the way that, that Joanna really was for Steve. And just a quick follow-up about the accent. This woman, I think, had so many different uh, backgrounds. I think she was, it was Polish influence. There was all kinds. So how did yeah, you I get this? Yeah, I, I can tell you. So she yeah. was, it was really irritating, actually, because <laughs> she wasn't from any one place. So she was born in Poland, and then she moved to Armenia when she was two right. and was raised largely in Armenia, went back to Poland when she was 11, and finally left for America when she was 14. But half the members in her household spoke Russian. <laughs> so it <laughs> oh was a really God. it was a really difficult one, and, and, and her dialect, it is quite mixed up. And in truth, her own pitch her own register is a lot higher than my own and it's also higher than the one that I do in the film because I think it would have been it would have been a bit much I think to do full to do full Joanna right. and also it's very colorful and she's like like this a lot of the time and I just think oh god I'm not yeah. I'm not quite sure if that would have gone down too well right. I feel Scott Rudin making me loop the whole role. <laughs> um Seth obviously you're extremely associated with the comedy genre um, were you seeking more dramatic roles, or did this just kind of uh, come to you? Um, I was not uh, seeking more dramatic work specifically. I had done um, some roles in, in, in dramatic movies, uh, you know, um, you know, movies that were more dramatic, yeah. I guess, than like an, an outright comedy. And I had always enjoyed it, but it wasn't like something I was trying to prove to the world I could undertake or anything. More than anything, I just. Um, I like to work with different people and people that I am fans of and people that I uh, respect a lot. And um, and the script was amazing and um, it just seemed like a very exciting opportunity. Uh, but yeah, it, it wasn't like a calculated thing. I probably should be more calculated. I'm not. But yeah. <laughs> well, now... Uh... Just I neglected to mention, so you play Steve Wozniak, who actually is has been here with the film, which yeah. is a pretty cool i guess for for some people uh who don't really um have, certainly haven't seen the movie yet he's been the other Steve but uh at the, he's actually you know it's fascinating to to learn about him and I want to ask you how how you seth uh you know how that, what that process was like was it just the book or did you actually as a resourcer, did you actually get to spend time with him? Same thing for you, Kate, with Joanna. Um, what kind of access did you guys have to the people you were playing? Uh, I had good Waz access. <laughs> um, yeah, I, he came and spoke to the whole cast. Um, and then I uh, emailed with him a lot. And I went out. He, he was in L.A. Um, and I went out with him and his wife uh, and my wife uh, for dinner. Um, and, I mean, he's very interesting. But, my again, like... I think my my goal was to serve the movie first and foremost. It wasn't to serve history or to serve Waz. It was to serve Danny and Aaron, <laughs> and and so there's a point where reality infringes on that, you know. Um, and so it was, but more than anything, just it was interesting to get a sense of what it was like to be around him. He's very lovable. I think that's something I just I directly tried to instill into the character. He's like he's very like just you want to kind of hug him, um, which is just kind of his demeanor. But um, it, yeah, I mean, it, I had a lot of Waz access, and it was it was somewhat helpful, I right. guess. But more than anything, it was just really cool to get to know him and the mentality of him. Um, but I really related to him in some ways, just because. I think he felt that because he was affable by that by the very nature of that he was not respected as much as Jobs who was 
not affable. Mm-hmm. And as a you know, as a com- as, as someone who primarily makes comedies okay. in this world, uh, I I very much relate to that because yeah. it's. I think it's true in a lot of ways. Like if, if, if you seem fun and funny, you inherently seem less intelligent to right. some people. And I think that the, the very opposite is often true, but, um, but that's something that is kind of a theme throughout the movie for, for Waz. Very interesting. And, and was Joanna available to you, Kate? Oh, Joanna was, um, she was very available to me actually. And she, in the same way that Waz did, um, she came in and spoke to, all of us, which was incredibly helpful, actually, just um, because she really, she really revealed to us all a different side of Steve, I think, than certainly was had, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but also a lot of the other people who had worked with him, I think, were frightened of him. They were intimidated by him. And I think all of those stories largely are true. Mm-hmm. Um, but she had all these other stories about Steve. You know, she would say, well, he was very sweet, you know, and we are kind of going, wow, really? <laughs> you know, those Steve Jobs and sweet, those, like, those two words don't yeah, seem to go hand in hand. So... So she was very generous with her own specific stories of Steve and also her own childhood too, which for me was, it was really important to have that because she, she's a very full person, you know, she's a really grounded, strong human being. And, and I know that so much of who she was influenced Steve and impacted on how he would behave Mm -hmm. at certain moments. And so for me, it was just it was just very necessary to know a little bit about her story. Yeah. And I was just very fortunate that she, that she did share that. She, she was the most relaxed, wasn't she? About, yeah. Mm. He, he's like a planet with this huge gravitational pull. Mm. And they were all circling him. And for a lot of them, they were still trying to affect their, their, their orbit. Yeah. How they were seen mm-hmm. yeah. uh, in terms of the legacy, right. and she was not interested in that at all. No, she was just interested in talking about him. Like you talk about someone who's passed; mm-hmm. it's sad that they've passed, but you talk about the good things, and yeah, okay, some mm-hmm. bad things about them as well. Mm. She would speak like that, whereas everyone else, it was about they wanted to correct, yeah, mm. set the record straight, set yeah. the orbit as before it you do this. Yeah, just yeah, know, yeah. Just <laughs> know that, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, uh, she, yeah. she, and that's true that she wasn't like that, and she, she had lots and lots of really wonderful, positive things mm-hmm. to say about mm-hmm. him. And actually, she wrote me an email the other day, having seen the film mm-hmm. herself, and she did really impress upon me that she wanted me to let Michael know that she was so happy to see the warmer side of Steve finally come through. Yeah. And and I and and I was really happy to hear. her say that because I know that was something that 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 Michael wanted to make sure was sort of peppered in there yeah. um, as much as possible without making it, you know, unbelievable. Right. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Um, Danny, I think the first time many people heard about the film was, uh, unfortunately, with the the Sony hack in November 2014. Sorry. I just wondered, I believe you've been on board already for, for a while at that point, and I just wondered, you know, 
What was your reaction, and did it change the project in any way? Hollywood's insane. I mean, it's just <laughs> like insane. It's ridiculous. Right. And very, very, uh, we're very lucky. We live in London, and we kind of like <laughs> occasionally visit Hollywood. Right. <laughs> it just becomes more and more insane every right. time we visit it. So we've been through this experience on Slumdog Millionaire, where we've been dropped by the studio, we've been put out, on, we've been threatened by going, we're going to go straight to DVD, and then they dropped us entirely, and we've just been through the works. And here it was happening again. Right. It was like, but actually, it was amazing actually because. Christian Coulson and I, we literally spent a day, it's like surreal, we spent a day in a black limo driving around the studios pitching the film <laughs> to the studio heads because it was suddenly available. And you realise one of the wonderful things about Hollywood is it's like, okay, suddenly they go, okay, it's a blank sheet. Right, we'll start again. Okay, here we go. Is it any good? And you get a chance. You sell yourself. And you, you sell the, your image of the film and they decide whether they're interested mm -hmm. in it or not. And we were very lucky. There were a couple of studios who were very interested in it. Obviously, we had a pretty compelling cast mm -hmm. and a pretty amazing script. Mm -hmm. So uh, it was attractive. And we were going to keep a... We were gonna, apart from filming in San Francisco, we were going to keep um, a tight rein on costs because right. that's the way we work, really. We're not indulgent, really, in the way we work. Um, so we, we came out of it very well in the end, yeah. you know. But it is la-la land some days. <laughs> it really is. Um, Last night, as you guys, I believe you sat through the movie, Kate, mm -hmm. all of you. Um, so you, you will remember this, that uh, after, I believe it was a very intense conversation between Michael Fassbender and Jeff Daniels, one, a very Sorkin-esque uh, exchange, some dude in the back of the theater screamed Sorkin. Sorkin. Um, yeah, a Sorkin head. <laughs> yeah, Sorkin head. <laughs> uh, but it was, it was very, uh, you know, almost uh, he couldn't help himself. He was so excited about it. Overcome with yeah. the Sorkinness <laughs> So I just have to ask, uh, you know, I have to ask both Kate and Seth what it's like to learn and then deliver lines by this guy who is obviously totally unique, I, would, I believe, in, in, what, in terms of the way he uh, produces material. It's, it is honestly, um, it is an experience quite like no other because somehow it's almost as though he's written the best improv yeah. <laughs> for you can, can, that this could ever be conceivable. I mean, that you yourself could never possibly come up with. But everything, every stumble, every what appears to be, you know, flub, um, every fumble, every pause... It's all written, all of it, and it's all it, it's 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 rhythmic. It's all very very rhythmic. And if you if you if you flip two words around or try and change a word or something, it just it's it's like trying to change Shakespeare. I mean, honestly, it is. It just it suddenly just all unravels. And I do remember Jeff saying to me at the very beginning. Jeff Daniels. Yeah, yeah, Jeff Daniels said, just, you know, he said, just learn the lines perfectly. <laughs> Don't ever think you can get away with anything because you cannot. <laughs> Don't change anything. Don't even be tempted to change anything. It will unravel and turn into dog. <laughs> and he was... Abs it's absolutely true, right. but at this, but by the same token, I think you were saying this this morning, Danny. Aaron is a very warm, approachable guy, yeah. and you know he has written this gospel stuff. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, there was there was one thing in the third act that I genuinely felt was a little bit confusing, and I had the courage one day in rehearsal to bring it up. And I'd sort of even come up with a kind of a vague alternative, which was a very mm -hmm. sort of economical way of just fixing something. And he said, "Well, he said, well, so what's what, what's your alternative?" And so I 
said what I'd done, he went, yeah, okay, that's oh, fine, wow. do that. <laughs> I mean, I was like, what? He said, yeah, did somebody write that down? I mean, yeah. it was, I was like, oh, oh yes, me. <laughs> yeah, please, please do look right. at my right. little attempt here. Right. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> and he was really, really great like that. That's amazing. And now, Seth, uh, as I understand it, I don't know that this is the case, but with a lot of the comedies that you've done, there's been a lot of sort of encouragement of Im- improvisation, uh-huh. right? Is, so it sounds like that would not be no, welcome here. Not, not, not welcome. <laughs> I think, uh, yeah, I mean, one of the first things Danny said when we showed up was just like, know your lines. <laughs> like, seriously, right. know your lines. Like, all jokes aside, know your lines. <laughs> and, yeah. Um, and yeah, so you really had to know your lines. And, and, and it's true, like, me and Fassbender would talk a lot about how there was, like, no middle ground. Like, if one microscopic thing was off, the scene completely fell apart and felt terrible. Right. And you, at the end of it, you were just like, yeah. Like, it was, it, it could not have felt worse. And then, and then all of a sudden, it would click into place. And when the rhythms were right and everything was right, it, like, it felt like someone else, like, had inhabited you. And, wow. and it just worked all of a sudden. Like, um, and, and yeah, it, 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 and it really took practice to get the rhythms right, and, and it was the first thing I've ever done where, like, you really had to rehearse it. Like, mm-hmm. it wasn't just, like, a luxury to rehearse <laughs> it or, like, a nice get-to-know-you-to-rehearse it. Like, it wouldn't have functioned if it wasn't incredibly rehearsed and the timing of it and the interruptions and all that all that stuff. And, so, that, and you each have some moments, and I think it's a combination, obviously, of Danny's direction and Aaron's writing, but all of it coming together where, whether it's, it's you and... Uh, and Michael, or as Steve, having this this grand blow up at one point, or Kate, so many different moments that uh, it, they there's something about the way it all comes together with his dialogue that you just don't it stays with you. I think. And mm-hmm. Danny, I want to ask you. I mean, the last guy that directed a film using Sorkin the Sorkin screenplay apparently did like as many as 99 takes on some scenes. Is this the way you work as well, or are you fewer takes? No, we didn't. We deliberately yeah. did. Um, we did the, deliberately trying to do the whole scene in one, and it was, that was because of what the guy, what the guys were saying about rhythm, so that they could start channeling that rhythm, mm-hmm. and it just threw up lots of different performances. So within, although it sounds very strict, it's actually it gives them great freedom within yeah. it to emphasise different things in different takes, and then the chopping up we did in the in the post. Mm-hmm. So we, we would we would so the film is highly edited, mm-hmm. but actually it was it was it was very free in the way that it was done. It was actors were, were, were free really to develop it uh, over long, long takes really, yeah. and we didn't do that many takes. I don't no, think. No, it never felt incredibly excessive. To Sorry, me, to me. stop, <laughs> Danny. Danny, you are having massive selective memory disorder. <laughs> what did you do with those? No, don't you remember? Don't you remember in Act in Act One? I can tell you this because we counted in Act One. In Act One, that very long scene between Michael and I, we yes. leave the stage yes. when we leave Andy to fix the voice demo, and we go up the spiral, and we go into the dress room we come out the dressing room the elevator we, had. we did do that 39 times wow. we did we did we no. did but we did we did we did different we did different versions yes. of it 39 mm-hmm. times so it's not like we did 39 takes of exactly right, the same right. thing but we oh, would yeah. do you know it was a nine and a half right. minute take and oh we did do, we did do it 39 oh times yeah we did danny do you have a rebuttal to i this? do i do but it was different every time it was so, so what politicians say now, when they have to confront things like that, they say, I don't recognise... I mean, it's interesting, I don't recognise your story at all. That's the vocabulary. No, that's probably true. But we did... Ch- actually, we did... What, so, so, so we would do... Yeah, you would get a lot of takes. So, in fact, there is some truth. Clearly, what Fincher found doing it like that is that 
although he, he has his own methods mm -hmm. and his own ways of doing it, we found that repetition, to, provided that the actors could bear it, mm -hmm. was actually fueling it the whole time because it was actually developing the scene. And when you look back at the takes, it is interesting. The finished version that we've got now, Elliot Graham, our editor, mm -hmm. has selected the comparison between like other takes yeah. earlier on in the day. Mm -hmm. It's like a different scene. Wow. I mean, it's like a completely different scene. It feels... So it, it yeah, did... Got better. They got, sometimes yeah. you feel like the first take, you're like, oh, it's great. This wasn't like that on this movie. Wow. I felt like I... You yeah, ease I into something. it. Yeah. Yeah. The rhythm. You develop the rhythm. Wow. Think, right? yeah, anyway, so... Um, but I still don't recognize 39. <laughs> <laughs> well, Michael, Michael wrote it on the wall. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not like you're doing 39 takes to try to like achieve some mystical goal that's like no. unarticulatable. Right, right, right. No, that's right, uh, but which also, is what I hear yeah. the alternative. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but, but, also, but also I will right. say having, you know, having, having, having worked on films where directors have liked as many as you know, 79 takes, mm -hmm. for, for example, often I think it's true that when a director does a lot of takes, it's that they aren't actually sure what it is that they want, and they're sort of hoping that you might show them something magical and miraculous. Mm -hmm. And I never felt that. Mm -hmm. I never felt that you didn't know what you were trying to get, right. ever. I just, I, I just genuinely felt that we needed to cover the scene in as many possible ways as we could, mm -hmm. either for performance mm -hmm. stuff on variety, but also because some of those scenes, you know, we would have mirrors on three sides of the room, yeah. you know, in those dressing room scenes, and, and, and quite frankly, we actually had to really be covered yeah. because it was, you know, it would impossible. have been foolish not to. It would have been impossible to cover it otherwise. Very quickly, my last question is just if you would each share what the biggest thing that you learned about Steve Jobs that you didn't know before this was, and also what you would hope audience members are going to take away when this film opens October 9th. Danny, maybe uh, you've been with this material the longest. What, what surprised you the most about the guy, and, and what do you want people to remember? Oh, I don't know. I, 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 it, that's sort of a biopic question, really, mm -hmm. which we didn't really make, mm -hmm. really. You know, it's a kind of like... Um, mm. So what, what I... <laughs> it's interesting what Kate was saying about um, her character. Um, we made this correction... Um, very, very late on in the film, where, where they, they're having this discussion about the launch and how it's like Igor Stravinsky launching um, Rite of Spring. And he says it's the most revolutionary and provocative symphony of the last century. And, she, and, and it's not a symphony, in fact, it's a ballet. <laughs> yeah. And so we corrected it in ADR. Oh Kate God. does this correction of it, which is just brilliant, because it sums up her character, actually. That he, what he, did, he was surrounded by people who were clearly as bright as him. And on a personality level, they didn't want to battle with him in the way that he wanted to battle. They operated in different ways. Their personalities were different. Mm. But they were equals with him. And I hope people take away from this not some elevated sense of Steve Jobs again, mm. but actually that although, although Hollywood and storytelling is almost always favours protagonists, mm -hmm. it's actually teamwork when mm. you make a film. Mm -hmm. And teamwork when you make these products. And these people that you're surrounded by, you you you're not just indebted to, that's not the right word for it. They are what you create, really, in a way. And it's the same making a film, and, it's the, and he wasn't prepared to acknowledge that. And it's, and it's Seth, actually, it's Waz who actually says, part of that is you've got to acknowledge where you've come from. Who, mm. The people who've made these breakthroughs before you, and you're indebted mm -hmm. to them, acknowledge that. Mm -hmm. And it'll give you grace. And he refuses and refuses and refuses. And it's only through Joanna that he's eventually forced to do it through his daughter. He never actually does it with Seth. But he actually does it with his daughter, ultimately. He acknowledges the past, mm -hmm. literally. 
and that allows you to actually break through into the future. You know, whereas for him it was like you've got to ignore the past. You cannot. You know, they'll just the past distracts you. Whether it's a child or your predecessors, they just distract you from innovation. And in fact, what these two are saying, it's actually they'll liberate you. Mm-hmm. And I think he learned that in a way. And I hope people f- get some sense of that from the movie. Maybe. Absolutely. And would you guys have anything to add? Or? I think the only thing that I would want to really add, just to the sort of second part of your question in terms mm-hmm. of what we would hope audiences to take away, you know, mm-hmm. it's almost churlish to kind of hope for anything, in it, really, um, and, and, and um, presumptuous. But one thing that I felt when I saw the film for the first time a few months ago, mm-hmm. I was so struck by just the fact that the film... It's almost, yes, it's about Steve Jobs and it's about those periods in time seen through his mind and experienced through his mind. But it's also about how this man has dictated how we live our lives today. And he's somehow, Aaron has written a film that's very brilliantly about all of us. And that I really didn't expect to feel. And I do feel that very keenly. And as Danny says, it's, it's, that comes through. It, it, it was a team, and, and 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 Steve created that, and subsequently Danny created that as well. And 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 it is that. It's 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 about him, but it's about all of those people and all of us right now, um, and his brilliant mind. And and I I you know I, I would hope that that people get that sense as well. Totally. Seth, any last words of wisdom? Oh man, that's that's so brutal to follow. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I think uh, to me, like the what I love about the movie itself is how it's an innovative movie. Like um, that, a- apart from telling the story of an innovative person, it itself honors the spirit of um, originality and innovation and taking big risks and and looking at the way things are generally done and saying, you know what, let's try a drastically different approach mm-hmm. to doing this. Mm-hmm. And that to me is a theme throughout the movie that I, I think is very interesting and, and, and just something that as a someone who creates things I strive for is just, um, I mean, these people literally just decided to be innovative mm-hmm. and then they were innovative and it, it was, it, it seemed like an intellectual choice to, to, to try to work outside of the, the framework that most people function in. And, and again, yeah, one of the things I think as a movie that, that is what I, one of the things I love about the most is that it itself takes that ideology and thrives within it. It, it, it isn't just telling the story of Steve Jobs. It mm-hmm. attacks it from a, a, a structure and a, and a style that's completely unconventional um, and literally something I'd never even heard of. And as soon as I heard about it, it was um, it just it's one of those ideas when you hear of it, you get insanely jealous that you didn't think of it, which is how you know it's a really good idea. And so uh, that that I think is something that I hope people take from it is that um, innovation is 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 a choice, and you can choose okay. to try to be innovative. And, well, congratulations, you guys, and and good luck at the official premiere at New York Film Festival October third. And uh, thank you really for doing. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Scott. Thank you. Thank you.